So how do you know you're choosing the right carrier to work for? On today's episode of Driven Too Far, we're going to give you a step-by-step guide to make sure you're choosing the right carrier. Hello, I'm Andrew Winkler, and this is Driven Too Far, the truth about trucking, a podcast that helps over-the-road truck drivers balance career and family. By now, you know, I'm really passionate about helping drivers in general, and I've been doing this for 30 years, like I've mentioned before. Uh, One of the things I just hate seeing, and I continue to see it over and over and over again, is the job hopping. Um, that drivers tend to do, especially when they're kind of newer in their career. Maybe they're just getting into trucking for the first time. So I kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit and see if we can't uh, figure out why that's happening so often. The first thing you need to understand is it's expensive to change jobs. So we talk to the students a lot of times, they, uh, you know, as they come out of school, we kind of we let them know it's like, hey, listen, it's it's important that when you go choose a carrier that you take your time, vet that carrier uh, so that you're making a good choice. You need to stay at that first job for at least a year would be my recommendation. And that's tough for a lot of them to do. It's not unusual to see two, three, maybe four jobs that first year as they come out of school. And geez, I just hate that because it really tarnishes their reputation as a professional. So I wanna, I wanna take some time today and talk a little bit about uh, how do we get you to the right carrier the first time? Uh, and there's a process I'm going to give you uh, and help you. I've also created a comparison tool that we're going to give you access to at the end of the show. Oftentimes, we're attracted by that cent per mile uh, when drivers, you know, they're out looking. It's a big shiny penny out there, and and we tend to gravitate towards those shiny things. But the cost of moving jobs, the cost of changing jobs is often overlooked. And when you start to take a a look at the gains you made from the extra nickel a mile and then what it costs you uh, in time and energy um, to move to that new company, there's a really good chance you really haven't gained much of anything. And maybe even worse than that is if, if there was any delay from the old job to the new job and you missed a paycheck on Friday, and and you're living paycheck to paycheck, things are already tight because you just came out of school or whatever it was. You know, did you just make things worse for yourself? Did you miss a pay period that you couldn't really afford to miss because you still have bills due? So you got to think about those things. I'm going to propose a systematic approach um, to you about how to go and find the best carriers. It's a fit for you. There's a lot of good carriers out there. There's a lot of not so good carriers out there. And even the not so good ones are probably really good at marketing or they're really good at, at throwing a bigger, flashier number at you to kind of kind of draw you in. So we're going to work through that. And, and as we do this, I've, I, like I said, I've built a comparison tool. The pay is actually one of the very last things we're going to even look at. What if I told you there's up to 50 other things that need consideration before you accept a job? 50 things. And these are all going to contribute to your overall satisfaction of the job. So uh, we're going to take some time and go through those. So here we go. In my own experience, this is one of those learning things that I would just share with you. And it, it seemed to have paid off over the years. But even when I'm hiring people for the office, Uh, sometimes those are critical positions that are open. Let's say it's dispatch or maybe safety or maybe a technician on the floor or something like that. Uh, 
when somebody's gone, when you got a hole in the office in a critical role, that means the rest of the team has to pick up the slack, right? And that becomes a burden on them. And as a manager or leader, you're hoping that you can get that gap filled as soon as reasonably possible uh, to take the burden off the rest of the team because they're already working hard. Now you've thrown more work on them and, and you don't want to do that, especially for long periods of time. One of the things I see happening in those situations is that we tend to have a knee-jerk reaction. So we get the applications flowing in. Uh, we get somebody that maybe has a little bit of the qualifications we're looking for, and we tend to hire quick. And oftentimes what happens when you hire quick is you've made a hiring mistake. And 30, 60, 90 days down the road, the new person that you brought in just kind of looks at you go, you know what, this isn't what I thought. Uh, I'm not enjoying my new job. I'm, I'm going to leave. So you're right back in the same boat you were 90 days ago, and now your team's redoing everything again. So that's the frustration. And the advice I got from a consultant years ago was said, hire slow, fire fast. And I've just always remembered that, that it's so critical that you take your time when you're hiring people to get the right person in the right seat. And it's no different for a driver. I think when you're looking for that new job, it needs to be a slow, methodical process for you to make sure you get the right job. So you're not job hopping and starting to build that bad reputation of a job hopper. So what does a symptomatic approach look like? Uh, like I mentioned, I've created an easy PDF uh, comparison tool for you. It's going to go through all those 50 things uh, that we mentioned, and it's going to allow you to essentially compare side by side up to four different carriers. So if you take the time to go through the process and we narrow it down to three or four carriers that you think you're interested in, then we're going to put you in contact with those three to four carriers, and you're going to take the time to start to build a relationship with recruiting uh, at each carrier and start to get your answers to those. Once you have the facts on that sheet and they're all lined up in order like that, it, it's really going to help you. I think somebody's really going to jump out at you and say, yeah, this is the carrier that, that's probably the right fit for me because of the information I was able to gather from them. The first thing I want you to do is make a, a, a list of potential carriers that you think you want to work for and make sure you you know what mode of transportation they are, reefer, van, flat, whatever it is you're looking for. The next thing you're going to do is I want to I want you to figure out where the closest terminal is for each of those carriers that you've listed. If they're more than 150 miles away, I, I, I want you to scratch them off for now. Uh, the reason we do that is because it's it's so critical for a driver to find a carrier that's either in your hometown, near your hometown, maybe within a 150-mile radius of home, because that's what's going to ensure your, your home time on a regular basis. If you start to work for a carrier that's based halfway across the country, um, it's going to be hard for them to get you home when you want to get home. And... You know, you hear the stories about drivers, well, they just keep running me around. They don't get me home. They said they can't find a load. The advantage to you working for the carrier that lives right near you or, or works right near you is that truck always has to come home. The freight's going to come through the terminal. The truck has to come home through maintenance. So all those things help to ensure you get home more often and when you should. So the idea now is you've got a list of carriers. 
I don't know how big that is. Maybe it's five, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 15 different options uh, that you could think of. We want to whittle that list down to three or four solid candidates for you. So let's start that process. You need to start doing some research. You can do this online via websites for each carrier. What kind of information can you pick up and what kind of things can you find on that carrier that maybe even would eliminate them? So maybe you find something in a review or group of reviews. Uh, Maybe there's enough information on that carrier website that you say, oh, uh, we only send our drivers home once a month. And you go, okay, that won't work for me. I got to be home every week, every two weeks. So you're looking for ways to take the, the 15 carriers you listed and whittle it down to three or four. Now, once we get to three or four, this is where you're going to uh, start. You're actually going to make phone call to a recruiter, and you're going to start to establish a relationship with a recruiter at each of those companies. Don't do this through text. Don't do it through email. You need to hear that voice. You need to have somebody you can actually speak to. And if they're close enough to you, a personal visit would be even better because I can't tell you how many times uh, we've had we've had drivers come look at us or we've had drivers look at us online and they thought, oh, we're a pretty solid company, but it's so different. If we can get them in the front door and we can show them our culture and our people and how everybody interacts, they walk out of there feeling pretty good. So if you can get to that carrier and maybe spend some time with that recruiter and start to learn, you know, at a, even a different level of how they operate, I think that's going to really benefit you in the end. As you get each carrier on the phone, or if you happen to be sitting in office with the recruiter, get your comparison tool out that we made. Um, I want you to notice on the comparison tool, there is 50 things listed there that you're gonna try to go through and get them to answer for you. And I took compensation. I originally had it up top because I know that's one of the first questions everybody asks is what's it pay? I purposely moved that clear to the bottom. And I think you'll understand why once we go through this process. If you put compensation first and, you know, somebody shoots you a big number and the next two carriers shoot you a lower number, you can't get that first carrier out of your mind because you're only focused on that compensation number. And we don't want to do it. There's so much more to the story that you're going to learn from this carrier as you go through the process. We want compensation to be, it might be a deciding factor, but there's so much more that's just as important. This process, by the way, I would I would recommend, remember I said hire slow, fire fast. So I would recommend that this process for you takes at least 30 days. And I think what you're going to find, now a lot of recruiters are going to be, they're going to want to try to get you in the door as quick as possible, right? They want to close the deal. They want to schedule you in orientation next week or maybe two weeks out if you're going to give a two-week notice to your current company. That's kind of standard. But I want you to slow down. I want you to not make any knee-jerk reactions or decisions. And maybe even you tell the recruiter that first, say, look, I'm possibly looking to change positions or carriers, but that's 30 days out. So I think that's really going to help you slow down, see the process, make sure you go through all the steps to do it. And then the other thing that's going to happen is you as you talk to these three or four carriers and you build those one-on-one relationships, I think there's other things that are going to shake out for you over that 30 or 60 day period while you're waiting to attend orientation. They may be good or they may not be good. So the idea of taking it slow and let things kind of settle, uh, that may end up helping you decide which is not a good fit for me. So that's why we, that's another reason we take, take our time doing this. 
the first thing on the list on the comparison uh, chart you'll see is just about basic qualifications. So that's things like, is there a minimum age requirement you need to hit? Do you have to have so many years of experience for flatbed or whatever mode you're going to do? So those are pretty basic. You kind of got to at least hit, you know, meet those hurdles first. And if you can't get over those, then the carrier is no good for you. The second part is benefits and non-financial compensation. So this is where your health insurance comes in. This is usually a big one, uh, especially if you happen to have a spouse and family and stuff like that. It wouldn't be that unusual for carrier A and carrier B to have uh, similar health plans, but maybe carrier A was $50 cheaper than carrier B. Well, what's 50 bucks a week? Well, when you add that up over 52 weeks, that's 2,600 bucks. And when you convert that into cents per mile, if you're gonna run 100,000, 120,000 miles a year, you're looking at two to two and a half cents a mile difference in the benefits. So that's part of the reason we're not focused on what's your cent per mile pay, because there's gonna be other nuggets that come out of this out of this process that are gonna help you make that decision. Okay, they they have pretty equal insurance. It's 50 bucks cheaper. That's the equivalent of two and a half cents a mile. Kind of just gave yourself a raise. What about PTO and vacation time? So uh, this is kind of what you see in the smaller carriers. You will see a lot of times you've got to work an entire year before you earn that week or those two weeks of vacation. So in other words, you can't really burn any vacation uh, that first year at all. Now, in my case, you start earning vacation day one. As soon as you step into orientation, the clock starts ticking. And at 90 days, you can actually start using your vacation. So those are the kind of questions you're going to ask is like, how much vacation the first year? When do I start earning it? And how soon can I use it? That's a that's an important one. And again, if you're single, but if you're especially if you're a family guy, that's going to be important that you have some paid days off coming up that you want to use. There's always going to be kid events, family events, things like that that you need to get to. So having uh, the ability to have those paid days off will be will be critical. Holidays is just another one. How many paid holidays do they offer? Um, do you actually have to work over that holiday to get paid for the holiday or do they just pay it whether you're working or sitting at home? So just some little questions you can ask. Uh, in our case, I, I want to say our vacation or our, excuse me, our holiday pay is 180 bucks or 200 bucks a holiday. That's not, you know, that's a significant dollar amount. So if somebody's only offering you 50 bucks or 75 bucks for a holiday and this carrier is offering you 200, that's a significant difference if there's eight holidays over the year. Performance and recognition programs. What does that mean? So, Performance programs, I'm thinking about bonus programs. You know, do they have a safety bonus? Do they have a fuel bonus? Um, recognition programs, you know, do they have a driver of the month type program? Or what do they do? And this is probably more about culture than anything else, is what do they do to engage their drivers? What do they do to make you feel like you're part of the team? They recognize you for all the good hard work you do. Um, some carriers don't believe in that stuff. And maybe it's important to you. Maybe it's not important to you. But it's it's good to know that it's there. And in, in most cases, you know, everybody likes to feel appreciated. So if that carrier has better performance and recognition programs, hey, that's what you want. HR strategy. So this will be a loaded question. And you need to ask that recruiter about 
what's your annual turnover rate? First of all, they should know it off the top of their head because it should be a number they're concerned with. If they dance around a little bit or if they shoot you something that seems kind of low, too good to be true, you may have to investigate that a little bit deeper. I, I, I would hope nobody would you know, lie about it, but it's certainly possible. Or they may just shoot a number out because they don't know. Now, the you probably know the industry's usually around 90%, close to 100% turnover. So what that means is if, if your truck line has 3,000 trucks and they are at 100% turnover on an annual basis, that means they're going through 3,000 drivers every year. They're essentially turning over 100% of the fleet every year. That tells me there's a culture issue in that company. So low turnover is usually a good sign that something good is going on, that drivers are sticking, drivers are staying. They're not moving around and not leaving. The other thing you want to ask about the HR stuff, hey, what about a pet policy, rider policies? You know, those things are probably important to a lot of drivers. Uh, okay, if you've got a pet policy, what is that like? Is there a deposit? How much is the deposit? Uh, is it a certain kind of dog? Is there a weight restriction on the dog? Is it certain breeds are welcome or not welcome? So there's a lot of things you could learn there. Uh, the rider policy, uh, there's usually an age limit tied to it that's really based on insurance that the you know, the liability insurance the carrier has to cover. They generally don't want young children in the truck thinking like anybody that would have to be at a booster seat or a car seat. You don't want that. Uh, probably won't allow multiple people in the truck at one time. Now, hopefully it's a, a situation where if you have a, a son or daughter that wants to ride with you for a week in the in the summer, they can make that happen. The other thing to ask about the rider policy too is, are you required to buy an insurance policy to have that extra person in the truck? Some carriers cover that for you and some carriers make you pay for the extra rider policy. So ask that question as well. Operations or dispatch strategy. So if you're a reefer van guy, maybe one of the questions you ask here is, what's your percentage of drop and hook? Hopefully in a van operation, it's much higher. Uh, reefers can certainly do that. If you're on the flatbed side like I am, um, there's some, but not a lot. It's certainly not like the reefer van guys. Ask about their layover and their detention policy. And, and listen really close when they tell you about this, because this is the difference between old school trucking and the, and the thought process there versus where the industry is really turning. And it's, uh, if you ask about a layover policy, do they tell you, well, you have to be laid over for 24 hours and then we'll pay you a $100 bill or detention policy, same thing. You know, they have all these disqualifiers of why you didn't qualify for this extra money. That's kind of a red flag. I, I'll just tell you where the industry is going right now is, is our job is to take care of our drivers uh, for all the work they do. So that's not fair to tell somebody, well, you have to sit for a full day before I can pay you anything. And what I pay is only going to be about half or a third of your normal wages. That's a bunch of crap. That that doesn't work today. Because if you didn't do anything wrong and they put you in that position or a shipper put you in that position as a carrier, as a truck line, we need to step up and take care of our drivers and say, you know what? I'm sorry this happened. I don't want to see you lose any money. I'm absolutely going to compensate you for a full day's wages, half day's wages, whatever that looks like. 
But that's the difference when you start asking these different companies and doing the comparison. That's why you're doing it. Because if you get one that's kind of got this old school of thought where, well, we might pay you. Or maybe their detention policy says something like, well, if we get paid, you'll get paid. No, no, that's not how it works. Um, so you were there on time. You did everything right. And if even if the policy says you have to sit for two free hours before detention kicks in, that's okay. Just make sure you get compensated for that. And even if the customer doesn't reimburse the carrier, that shouldn't matter. That's on me as, as a leadership in the carrier. That's between me and the customer. That has nothing to do with you because you did everything right. So you shouldn't be penalized you know, for sitting, being detained extra hours and stuff when you did your job. It's we have to do our job now. Home time's a big one. Um, what I would suggest when you're talking about the operation strategy and the home time, most carriers kind of have a, you know, run so many days, get so many days off type thing. But one of the things I'd take it a step further and ask them about a home time guarantee. So I, I can't tell you how many drivers I've talked to over the years where they, they start in our orientation. And I always ask them, I said, tell me a little bit something about the last carrier with what worked well, what didn't work so well. And a lot of times they're talking about the home time and it's these horror stories about, well, I was supposed to be home for my kid's graduation, but they didn't get me home and they kept running me around and doing all these things. Uh, that's a bunch of crap. So this is where you got to start holding uh, employers and carriers accountable for stuff. And what I want you to ask them is if, do you have a home time guarantee policy? Meaning if I submit my home time into you a week, two weeks, whatever it is ahead of time, and you approve it and you don't get me home on time, what are you going to do for me? Because there's a good chance I missed an event, maybe a family, maybe a doctor appointment, something like that. But I think the carrier should be accountable to the driver they hold you accountable for delivering on time, right? So uh, why shouldn't you hold that carrier accountable for getting you home on time? That's their job. Safety, uh, you know, what's the safety department? What's the safety policies look like? Uh, the big part of that is probably training, how much training is required each year. And I don't want you to think of that as a bad team, a bad thing, because, you know, if they say our drivers go through X amount of hours of additional training per year, that's a good thing. They're really trying to invest in you and spend time to make you a better professional driver. And that's really the goal. Now, if they don't have any requirements for safety, gosh, that might be a red flag because they're not putting, uh, you know, safety, a, they're not making a priority and they're certainly not making it a core value in their company. And you don't want to work for somebody like that. That's for sure. Is there additional recognition programs in safety? You know, is there a safe miles program? Uh, is there a safety bonus associated with it? What does that look like? We do a combined performance and safety incentive on a quarterly basis. So our drivers are eligible from anywhere from zero to four cents a mile. So it's significant. If you can get four cents a mile on every mile you ran for the quarter, that's a chunk. You know, that could be 1,200, 1,500 bucks, maybe two grand something like that but uh it's significant and those are the things you're trying to flush out with this comparison tool because if you didn't have this tool in front of you and you're not asking all these questions you're not getting the full picture you may have made a decision because of the bright shiny cent per mile number uh that that they threw up there so again this is why we're doing it dash cameras hot topic right um 
here's my input on that. You need to ask, you know, are you guys running dash cameras? Are they forward, uh, inward facing both? What does that look like? If they're forward facing, meaning facing out to the highways and the interstates, uh, you shouldn't be scared of that. In fact, you should want that. I really, I truly believe that. Now, there's some difference of opinions on the inward ones and the privacy thing. Maybe you came from a carrier that already had it and it doesn't bother you. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing because I do understand how the cameras work and how they turn off and what activates them. Uh, but I do understand also that drivers are probably a little suspicious of some of that and they don't necessarily believe that they truly turn off or they might think that we can tap into those and listen at any time and the reality is yeah that's not that's not how they work um our cameras and our trucks are actually both ways but we've got a cap on the in, inside uh camera so that way we did it that way because we feel like um, our drivers know they have control over that cap or that lens cap or cover over you know the camera so I think that makes them feel a little bit better. But anyways, ask about the dash cams. Ask about the policy. You could take that back into the safety training. Okay, you have this dash cam. What happens if I have a triggered event? Uh, if I'm, I'm running down the road and I had a hard break? Wasn't my fault, but what's the interaction going to look like between me and the safety person because of that event? And, and can I get in trouble for that? Or do these things help exonerate me? What does all that look like? So those would be really good questions. Maintenance, uh, what's the average age of your trucks? You know, what happens when I come in the door in 30 days? Am I going to get the oldest truck in the fleet? Are you going to give me the newest truck in the fleet? Do I have some kind of choice if you're running multiple brands? Uh, auto, automatic, manual transmission, you know, there's a lot of things to ask there that might be determining factors for you. Um, there's still some old school guys out there that think they absolutely have to have a manual. And I, I know that's been a deal breaker. We have some manuals in the fleet. Uh, but they don't come open that often. So, you know, we're we're recruiting new drivers in and he really wants a manual and we just have to tell him at some point, he's like, listen, I don't have it right now and I can't guarantee that I will have one by the time you show up for orientation. If that's a deal breaker, then let me know right now. What I could do is put you in the newest automatic we have and then when a manual comes open, I'd be happy to slide you over to that. So that's just a conversation you got to have with the recruiter and see how big a deal that is for you. How are truck upgrades handled? Meaning, do are you once you're assigned to your tr a truck, are you in that truck until the, they decide to take it out of the fleet? Or if I do a good job as a driver for you, can I get bumped into a newer truck when newer trucks either come in or when something opens up? What does that look like? So ask them about the truck upgrades. Uh, I think that's important. And then ask them about how they just do their PM services and schedule maintenance. Uh, are they bringing the truck back to the home terminal every time to do that maintenance? Are you trying to do the maintenance while I'm taking my home time? That would be ideal if you could do that. Are they doing maintenance at outside shops? And is that an option? So you're not driving all the way back into the terminal and waiting around. But you know, the, the idea is to try to get this PM maintenance done while you're on your downtime, while you're either on a 10 hour break or on your home time, a 34, whatever that looks like. But that's the most efficient way we could, we could possibly handle it. So ask about how that's handled. And then if I've got to take the truck in and it's down for full eight hours for the day in the shop all day long, am I compensated for that? 
I think that's a fair request. You need to ask about that. Work-life balance, uh, you know, it's a big deal to a lot of people. So what's the flexibility of the job look like? Am I expected to run certain days of the week? Um, you know, there's some carriers out there that would say, I need you to run 22 days, 23, 24 days out of the month. You can have six to eight days off a month. I don't care what that looks like. And you can kind of schedule that around. That's a really flexible schedule and that would that would be ideal. Uh, but there's gonna be some that say, nope, you gotta leave Saturday mornings because you're gonna be on the coast on Monday morning and your typical home time's probably gonna be Thursday or Friday every week. So ask those questions. I know a lot of guys come in and they, they prefer weekends off because maybe their spouse works and that's when they have time off. Uh, and things like that. Or maybe you got a kid playing high school football and you got to have Friday nights off. But you got to ask those questions for sure. How do you make that happen? What kind of amenities or, or what kind of programs do you have for the families themselves? Understanding that, you know, I've got a, a wife and children. Uh, do you have work events that include my family? Meaning when you have a barbecue at the end of the month for a safety meeting, can my wife come eat with us? Um, do you have any kind of annual events where drivers and their families are included? Maybe it's a fun day, maybe it's a banquet, maybe it's a picnic. Uh, maybe they do fun things throughout the year and raffle off tickets to a concert or a sports event or something like that. So what do they do to get your family involved? We, we truly believe that this has always been a family thing uh, because while you're out there doing all the hard work, uh, your spouse is certainly at home trying to trying to keep the kids in line and getting them to school and getting them to sport events and it's a lot on both of you so we think it's a family uh, family engagement help program so we offer something called Dave Ramsey if you heard of him he's a it's a program called Smart Dollar but it's financial help advice for people it's free we pay the bill on that you know is there counseling. Um, what other kind of family things are offered? What if the air conditioner goes out while you're out on the road? Is there anybody at the company that could help my wife? Because, you know, maybe she's just not good at that. She doesn't know who to call or needs a, a car repair and needs some help with something. You know, do you have people that would, uh, people that can help you do those type of things? Um, most, most good companies are doing things like that nowadays. Um, they, they again they understand that this is all about your entire family and if we can't take care of the whole family uh, then it's going to be really hard to keep those drivers because they just they count on you while you're out on the road growth opportunities what do you got for growth opportunities maybe you want to just be a company driver but there's a lot of different paths out there that you could take uh, the obvious one is lease purchase. Maybe you want to become an owner operator, buy your own truck. Is there a path to do that? Maybe you're older and you're actually thinking about retiring, but I'm not really ready to, to retire. So do you have any kind of part-time work programs where I could kind of ease into, into retirement, work when I want to? Uh, that'd, be, that'd be a really great question for them. And how about continuing education? That seems to be a big deal. You know, some companies offer that for, we'll call it the office staff, uh, if they would want to take college courses or online courses that are related to their job or their career, a lot of times the company will pick that tab up or at least pay a portion of it. But do they offer it for drivers? Uh, more and more companies are starting to do that. So if it's related to what you do, 
uh, if they can justify the expense, are they willing to invest in you as a professional driver? Last thing we get to is the compensation. So I, I, I don't like cents per mile. And if you've listened to my podcast, you know that. We always try to focus on the gross amount, whether that's a weekly gross amount or an annual gross amount. I just there's too many pieces that come into the, the the driver pay whether it's a cents per mile and you've got accessorials and some different things and it, it it gets really confusing so what i would recommend you do when you get to the end of this comparison tool is now we can talk about compensation ask that recruiter what's your average weekly gross for full-time company drivers and then i also want to know what is your top 25 percent of your company drivers make on a weekly basis. So you're kind of getting the middle, you get in the mid range of, of, of the whole pool because it's you got top performers and you probably got some low performers and you got some guys that just started. So just asking about the average, that that's not always the best question sometimes. I'm assuming you're gonna wanna be a top 25% performer. So that's why I picked that. But ask them what the top 25% make. And I think that'll give you a good blend of where you could expect to be because you're gonna go out there and you're gonna nail it. You're gonna knock it out of the park. And I have no doubt you're gonna be in that that top 25%. So ask them the weekly and then ask them the, the annual the same way. Because if your number's 80 grand, 90, 100 grand, whatever that number is you're trying to make, uh, you, you just got to know if it's realistic to get there. That's probably the number you've got in your head. But if they are uh, truthful to you and, and actually take the time to pull some numbers for you and they say, well, our average is 73,000 and our top 25% are making 85,000. Okay, that's probably where you can expect to be. Is that enough? But on top of that, you want to go back through all those other 50 items that we listed before we got to compensation and see, you know, make sure you're comparing everything that company has to offer. Compensation is a big part of it, but it's all those other the benefits and the, you know, the health and all those things can add up. And over and above that, the one thing there's not a dollar sign on is the culture. So hopefully by doing this, you've gotten a really good understanding of what it would feel like to work in that company. Uh, you've probably had some interaction with the recruiter and maybe some other people. You've done your homework online. You've gone and looked at their Google reviews. You've gone and looked at their social media reviews. So my recommendation is four stars and above. If you can find a carrier that's got four stars in Google and, and maybe their Facebook page, that's a pretty good number. It's very hard to get above that, especially four and a half stars, just because of all the naysayers are out there. It seems like society is so quick to point out the negative rather than the good. But if you can find a carrier with four and above and, and you like everything else that they're offering, I think you got a pretty solid chance. I think that'll put you in the best position to go to work for a carrier uh, that you can stay with, that you can stick with. Hopefully you've taken the 30 days and you've kind of peeled everything back and unpacked everything and you've got a really good feeling uh, that they're actually going to do what they say they're going to do. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Driven Too Far. Make sure you click the link below to get your step-by-step -step guide.